1: Scripture today is from 1 Peter 3, verses 13 through 22. It can be found in page 985 in your pew Bible. Now who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated, but in your hearts sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you, Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear, so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if suffering should be God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him.
0: Okay, today I intend to reinforce many of your Baptist stereotypes about a Baptist preacher. Get ready. I'm going to preach today on personal evangelism. Are you ready? Hang with me on this. As you know, I'm not the preacher, the Baptist, who sees evangelism in every single text, but it does show up. And today, we find it in Peter's letter, and it might be one of the most beautiful appeals in all of Scripture. The tradition holds that the Apostle Peter, you know, the hothead we know from the Gospels, is the voice behind this letter to the early church, and he's writing on a really familiar theme. Many of you who follow the New Testament letters know that one of the themes that shows up over and over and over is encouragement, encouragement. The early church was so marginalized, uh, so picked on in that era, that the pastors of that time wrote letter after letter to be an encouragement to these early Christians. In this case, it was about how peculiar the Christian community was feeling as a set-aside, marginalized group. I mean, they were an outsider to all the civic political power. I mean, there, were, there was the Roman power, the civic and political power of the day. Then there's this pesky little group of, of, of a Jewish community, and then there's this subset of Jews, the Christians who were the ones who were convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, and they were all in, fully devoted to the model and teachings of the Christ. But this this kind of full-bore commitment to Jesus made them a really peculiar group. Because you've got the big power. You've got a community, a long-established community of Jews And then this peculiar little group that follows Jesus. They feel marginalized. Culturally speaking they were on the island of misfit toys. So Peter writes a letter of encouragement into the hardships they're experiencing. He says I know that you suffer. Just be sure that you suffer for doing what's right. I mean if you suffer because of the peculiar good that's coming out of your life because you're a Christ follower, then you're blessed. Keep doing what is good. You maintain a conscience. And those who make fun of you for doing what's right are eventually going to be put to shame. And he also includes this this commissioning that they all be personal evangelists, In the culture. And I love the way he says it. And I want to spend time this morning on Peter's instructions about our responsibility to be personal evangelists of the good news. But first, I need to confess to you my strained personal history about the term and the concept of personal evangelism the word itself is not as scary as we've made it. The The root word in Greek means good news. I mean there's nothing mean or threatening or intrusive about good news. Still the word evangelism makes me squirm just a little bit. I'm trying to get over a little childhood history. Do we have any therapists in the room? I've got I'm going to confess some childhood history here. See, I was born in 1963. I will save you the math. That means I'll turn 60 later this year. My church interaction with the gospel, my maturing in faith, it means it was coming alive for me in the early 1970s. And in that day, in my part of the Baptist tradition, nothing counted for more Than personal salvation. Billy Graham was our hero. We were inheritors of the revival tradition that taught us that nothing matters like personal salvation and doctrinal purity. And we knew we were not all going to be Billy Graham, but we were taught that it was our Christian responsibility to lead others to Jesus. And our first training on faith sharing was the Roman Road. Anybody else remember the tracks? A few. I, I looked on the internet in preparation for this sermon to find out the history, the origin of these tracks. I couldn't find anything, but I did find out that there you can still order them by the bushel load for your own personal evangelism. For those not familiar with the Roman Road, it was a paper tract. That you would carry with you in your back pocket. And it's stitched together uh, scriptures, all from the book of Romans, that would help you walk somebody along the road to salvation. Number one, everyone needs salvation, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Two, Jesus died for our salvation but God commandeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Three, salvation is a gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Four, we are saved by grace, and if by grace, then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. Five, salvation comes through faith. To him that believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for all righteousness. And six, God saves all who call upon him. Whosoever should call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We were then instructed to lead the person in a prayer of confession and belief in Jesus. And it was an effective means of personal evangelism. And we were encouraged to not just carry the tracks but memorize. Memorize the six points. Memorize the six uh, scriptures. That way, I mean, if you forgot your tracks at home you'd still be loaded. What if you ran into somebody at the swimming pool? Now, I want to be respectful and careful here to say I believe the truths of the Roman road. And I respect the efforts of thousands who have led people to Jesus with this method. Only in my part of the tradition, we were trained to think like people in commission sales. Cold call, aggressive. The person sitting next to you at the Braves game might not know Jesus. And I struggled. I I didn't struggle with the truth of Romans. I struggled with the intrusive, aggressive model that felt so uncomfortable to me. Born in 1963, which means I was 10 or 12 years old when James D. Kennedy's evangelism explosion curriculum hit the churches. E.E. it was called. And E.E. is a ministry that trains people how to share their faith in Christ, how to bring others to Jesus. E.E. moved us from a tract into a full-blown curriculum for training methods about how to share your faith with others. There's a course, notebook, and everything. And my exposure to this curriculum included hundreds of stories that were meant to be inspirational and instructive. The speaker would say, And I was sitting next to a guy on my plane ride back from Memphis, and he was reading a book on trout fishing. But I interrupted his reading to tell him about Jesus who's fishing for souls of men. By the time I was in the youth group, we were in an era where good Christian teenagers were encouraged to wear t-shirts in public with Bible verses or Christian slogans. It was called witness Wear. You never knew who could be behind you in line at the log flume at Six Flags and see your T-shirt and they'll have their lives changed forever. Well, I spent most of my formative years as a young Christian feeling guilty that there were people in hell because I was not firm enough in my faith to interrupt their lunch at the Varsity Junior and tell them about Jesus. Jesus. So, as I said, I have a troubled history with personal evangelism. And then, of course, in God's wonderful sense of humor, God calls me to be a full-time proclaimer of the good news. But I still bristle at the aggression that turns good news into assault. Assault. And many of my generation I know who did not become preachers have never spoken a word of their private and sincere faith for fear that they would be lumped into the group of insistent Christians who can't let someone leave their company without hearing a clear presentation of the gospel. A few years ago I had lunch with a Baptist executive who left a small tip... And a tract about Jesus on the table for the waitress. And I cringed. And yet. And yet. Every one of us who has come up from the waters of baptism. Is the joyful recipient of somebody's evangelism. Somebody, somewhere, told us about Jesus and told us about that the life of following the Christ is a life lived full, abundant, free. Somebody told us about the crucifixion and the resurrection and the victory. Somebody witnessed to God's boundless love and forgiveness. And we believed them. And we believed them in many cases because we knew there was something twinkling inside their spirit that was not alive in ours. We saw hope and peace and purpose and grounded morality. We saw a lightness that comes with forgiveness, a belonging that's fostered in community, a peace that registers deeper than happiness, an abundance of spirit that bubbles over and spills all over the ground. And we saw it and believed it And it transformed our lives. Personal evangelism is an essential part of passing on the legacy of faith. And the gift of life abundant. So, (laughs) how do we participate in the life-giving gift of sharing the good news... Without becoming a hostile Baptist caricature. Well, did I mention how much I love this scripture today? I love this line. Peter tells the Christian community in our passage today always be ready to make your defense. To anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Live nobly, do what's good, follow Jesus with everything you are, live, learn, study, worship, follow, love, give, And let this abundance just start bubbling up out of you. And let it just spill all over the place. And you do that and people are going to notice that there's a song inside of you. People are going to see that there's something beautiful there. Something that's bigger than bank accounts and billboards. They're going to notice that you're animated by a fullness that is... Just could only be hoped for in their lives. And if anybody ever does you the respect of hinting that you have something alive in you and they lean in just a little, be ready. Always be ready, our scripture tells us. Be ready to account for the hope that is within you. Could you do that? I mean, I mean, if if that occasion came up, what, what if the occasion came up of your faith or church life or your prayer practices? How easily could you talk about that? The conversation turns to Christianity in America or who is Jesus. Suppose you're out with a group from, lunch, uh, from work and put in your order and eating chips and salsa and waiting for lunch special number four. And eventually the conversation turns to why well, it is that you go to church every Sunday. Why don't you play golf on Sunday? Why don't you and the family go to brunch on Sunday? Would you be ready? Always be ready to make defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. In business, they call it an elevator speech. To be able to say clearly what it is, your job is, your product is, the service you provide, in the length of time you might would be in the elevator with someone. A clear and practiced explanation. Well, so, suppose somebody turned to you in the elevator and say, "Hey, we just got a few floors, but who is Jesus to you?" Okay, that's not real likely. I get that. But still, could you? Could you make a clear case for why your life is animated from within? Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting from the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. with gentleness and respect. It's, it's not an argument One, As Anne Lamott says, you don't always have to chop with the sword of truth. You can use it to point with. We're not making a defense of Jesus or a defense of all Christians, but a defense of why there is a hope Alive inside of me and with gentleness and respect. Okay, you're probably ahead of me. (laughs) You've probably already guessed your homework assignment. Could you give an accounting? In a, in a long dinnertime conversation or an elevator ride, could you speak clearly and respectfully about why you follow Jesus? Next Sunday, if I tapped you on the shoulder, ask you to give an account for the hope that's within you. What is your faith story? What is your why? Practice it in your head this week. And then if somebody ever leans in, even just a little, you'll be ready to make defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Amen.